Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, and he's taking the blues out of Big Blue. It's Benny Horowitz. Happy football season. Thanks. It's exciting. I had a double fantasy draft in one night. Uh, a new league run by Julia, the Rap Boys, mm. who, uh, another bunch of Midwesterners who I plan to smoke, and now the, uh, <laughs> long, the long-lived Red Scare Records Fantasy Football League is back again for i think it's like 10th season yeah i've never taken it i've been close i was bronze last year <laughs> danny from alkaline trio is back and uh he's always a very good player so i'm excited for my fantasy seasons i'm semi excited for the giants <laughs> i'm cautiously optimistic denny i mean like as a fan you know you want to take every good scenario put them together into a culmination that's that's grand. You mm. want to believe that you're going to win a Super Bowl at the beginning of every year, yeah. but let's take the historical precedent of the last few years. <laughs> and all I'm looking for this year is just, you know, uh, my general interest in the team by week 11 or week 12. <laughs> if that's still going on, this, this year is a success. Yeah. If Saquon Barkley's still on the field, and Daniel Jones is still the quarterback by week 12, that means this season is not an entirely uh, total meltdown disaster. So I'm just trying to plan here. So if we start talking more football, because last year I, I was looking back through everything. I think I think we haven't talked about football since like the Chiefs won the Super Bowl on this show. <laughs> so so if the Giants start get going, we'll probably talk about it a little last bit more. Last year this is year. a mulligan. That's a mulligan. <laughs> By the way, speak, speaking of football, speaking, speaking of, of mulligans, music, well, that too. We'll, we'll want to know who we had on one of the shows this week. Hmm. Your old buddy Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains. It's, uh, it's, oh, speaking it's, of fantasy football. That's yeah. right. They, they had the big draft this week, and I was like, so weren't you in that? Yes, yes. In one year, I was asked to be in the uh, Friends of Alice in Chains Fantasy Football League, and it was covered by Sirius, mm -hmm. the fantasy football draft. And I, this was the years like prior to children, I, I flew to Los Angeles <laughs> and uh, rented a car, stayed at my, my buddy Chris, luckily, was house-sitting some big half-mansion in Mulholland uh, that, that we had free reign to. I rented a car, and I had one of those like real lost in New Yorker you know, lost New Yorker experiences in California. Like, yeah. I don't understand how these neighborhoods work. You know, <laughs> like there's long driveways that you're not even sure like which house they go to all these bells and buzzers. And <laughs> then you once you get in, it's not like there's like there's like three doors that could right. be the front door. I was very confused, not to mention the fact that Alice in Chains is one of my like, you know, teenage young teenage all-time favorite bands right like, so i was intimidated just even by that and then i walk in and it's like there's michael rapaport <laughs> uh maurice jones drew rich eisen you know just like this strange cast of characters that seems and i have full-on imposter syndrome i'm just like <laughs> drinking a you know little beer and just like you know and but i came stacked i brought 
sheets on sheets of data. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna come in quiet, kind of like a little gangster, and then I'm just gonna roll this league and I'm gonna win. And that's how I'm gonna make my mark felt. I had a very strong draft. And by all accounts of everyone who was there, they were pleased with my drafting. But, <laughs> you know, the injury bug got me. I mm. had kind of like a 500 season and I was not asked back. Oh, man. So it's performance based. <laughs> Apparently. Wow. I think, yeah, I think <laughs> I'm just like, you know, if Jerry Cantrell, what kind of what letter list would you consider Jerry Cantrell? C list? Yeah. Yeah. C list celebrity. Yeah. So, I mean, if Jerry is C. I'm like E, so I think maybe F. So oh, stop that. So the cursory E to F celebrities in the fantasy football league are in a rotation. Yeah, apparently. unless you win, I guess. Wow. Then, yeah. So I was never asked back because I know that he was talking about that they had the Bella Twins from WWE. On, I think the year after that. Wow. So, I mean, there yeah. you go. They took my seat. <laughs> but, the, oh, man. The funniest part of that experience, I mean, there is, you know, I'm joking around about it. He was really cool. Yeah. Everybody there was really cool and very welcoming. Uh, and he had just all this, like, awesome Alice in Chains shit all around the house. You know, <laughs> their cool memorabilia. And one of the best parts was a toilet paper holder in the bathroom was an MTV Moon Man. Wow. Which, I mean, gangster. You want to know what else is gangster? Tell me. This day music history. No. Do, 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 do. So, in 1991 was the release of the song Smells Like Teen Spirit mm. by Nirvana. Now, I mean, I think we're just starting to understand even why and how that was such an important moment in musical and cultural history. But man, I, I can't go more than two interviews and going off track or talking to somebody in a band, somebody involved with music that not only was like Nirvana, their first favorite band, it was their entry into playing music, mm. you know, and they were one of those bands, like the biggest bands at the time is, Brian Adams, Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson, Paula Abdul, and then like, you know, the whatever fallout of the 90s stuff that was happening at that point. You know, I guess Guns N' Roses was still relevant, Motley Crue to an extent. But like that was all like this overproduced, big, unreachable cultural life kind of stuff that like you look on TV it's so far away from you and your life, you don't even see it. Mm. And here's Nirvana. Like, they look like shit. <laughs> you don't even know what they're talking about. The chords are kind of easy. Like, it's this accessible thing. And it's not like you're going to a guitar lesson when you're a kid in the early 90s being like, can you teach me Paula Abdul? <laughs> you know, uh, they, you know they're, they're, they're teaching you Nirvana. They're teaching you power chords. So... That was a huge entry. And then, you know, it kind of also on the same turn recreated what we consider alternative music because they didn't really know what Smells Like Teen Spirit exactly was in the mainstream. It wasn't punk. It wasn't metal. It wasn't standard rock. So they started calling it alternative. But remember, alternative at the time, like the old newsprint alternative press was like R.E.M., hmm. 
and the Smiths and the Cure and uh, and indie college rock and stuff like that. So it even changed like a whole genre of music, changed the image and uh, sort of knocked up an entire door down for, like I said, not only music, but but culture altogether. It's a big day in 91. I remember it well. All right, Benny. Well, for, for my This Day in Music History, on this day in 1997, an electric chair, which was used in Alcatraz and once owned by Andy Warhol, and the reason why this ties in the music, Andy Warhol, I think if you're listening to this, you know his connection to music, sold for about $5,000 at auction in Bristol, England. Warhol used to sit in the chair to watch horror movies. Benny, I use this question to pivot it, as always. Have you ever bought anything crazy at an auction? <laughs> I yeah. Yeah, I have. I mean, first off, you saw me grimace when you told me what Andy Warhol was doing with that electric chair. I don't mess around with voodoo. I don't mess around with juju. If someone got fried up in a chair, the last place I want that shit is in my house. All right. That no thank you. <laughs> Andy Warhol. Uh, so nothing like that. Actually, mine is way funnier and way sillier. The one time I went baller at an auction was my brother-in-law was hosting an event that uh, was collecting water, uh, collecting money to build a fresh water system in a village in like Venezuela. Wow. And so I'm like, good cause. Yeah. Uh, it was at sort of the pre-kid post-major label height Ooh, of my economic power. sweet spot. You know? It's like the best I had ever probably been doing. I had a couple beverages, <laughs> and I saw one of the auction pieces was an R. Kelly trapped in the closet gold disc. Oh. This is pre... This- <laughs> you know, the second set of allegations in our heads. This is still funny. Yeah. So I do regret the artist... But the story is still funny. And I got in a little bit of a bidding war and I had a proud moment where I was almost like, yo, I'm at that point right now. I can throw down something silly to get this. And I'm getting it like I don't I'm walking out of here tonight with this R. Kelly gold record. So I did. I outbid another anonymous bidder a few times and I am still currently the non proud owner of this piece how much you think you could get for that now less i'd (laughs) imagine and and that's part of the bad problem is if i go open market with this thing i'm probably selling it to someone with questionable morality like someone who's actually willing to pay good money to take (laughs) that into the fold now is questionable that i don't even want to do business with or please them in any sense of the way so it is uh, literally trapped in the closet. Now. Oh, man. That reminds me of the time that I bought a Bill Cosby. So, no, just kidding. Um, oh, but, yeah. but yeah, man, you know, auctions are a crazy thing. I, I, I haven't quite gotten to that stage of life. I kind of don't think, you know, I kind of don't buy excess things. I kind of am not impulsive like that. So I'm I'm saving my shekels for a rainy day, so to speak. But a smart guy. Smart guy. <laughs> Listen, I'm very I've been very diligent let's say throughout the years and you just heard the story about my one (laughs) my one dip into opulence you know i love it and see where it got me you know a shameful piece oh 
Benny, you brought up opulence. You brought up a little bit of shame. Our first headline today has a little bit of everything. All right, so if you'll indulge me a little bit. After years of, of delay and teasing on social media, the band ABBA have officially reunited, announcing their new album, Voyage, coming out November 6th. Uh, the Swedish pop group last sang together at a private gala in 2016, though their last public performance was in 1986. But their upcoming shows will mark the first time in about 40 years that they've been together ahead of the release. They dropped two singles, two ballads. I still have faith in you. And the disco gem is a word uh, to, to describe it. Don't shut me down. So, Benny, what do you make of this whole thing? ABBA back 40 years on the heels of the Mamma Mia phenomenon and all of that money that must be backed up into their Swedish bank account. What do you make of ABBA being back? So, I mean, I was real happy to hear it. You know, I'm, mm. I'm seeing the article and I'm like, yes, <laughs> how cool, you know, because it's not like, you know, I don't if if I heard a Led Zeppelin announcement, I'd get nervous. Mm. Like, oh, God, what are the boys doing? You know, yeah, like I don't want Robert Howland right now. Like, let's not do this. <laughs> but for ABBA, I'm like, yeah, it's fucking ABBA. Feel good stuff. Let's have some fun. Bring back ABBA into the fold. I'm all for it. And then I see that they're working uh, on his virtual concert event in 2022 with like Lucas Studios. Yeah. I'm like, that adds up like cool. <laughs> like this will be like just this great big visual audio experience. So I'm, I'm pretty psyched. And then and then, you know, here's here's the rub. I listen to the songs. Not great. Not great. I mean, at least the Don't Shut Me Down track has a little bit of a dance beat. I can get my head going. This I still have faith in you is a, a little self-indulgent, you know, um, and a little tough to listen to, like, Wait. lyrically. I mean, I wanted to keep in mind the whole time, like we were talking about, this is sort of like when a movie like Anchorman gets a sequel <laughs> and people talk about the like it's Casablanca and, and that there's no way they should do this. I'm like, it's anchor man. Like let's have some fun and see what happens, you know? So I thought this would be the same, but I don't think they're having too much fun. I mean, the lyrics to this song literally sound like a very old, rich Swedish lady <laughs> sitting in the park reflecting, <laughs> yeah. which sounds like uh, <laughs> the song we're listening to probably how it was written. So I'm happy Abba's back. I'm stoked about the whole package, but let's hope some of the material that comes out after this is a little closer to Dancing Queen. Now, this podcast always surprises me because sometimes my opinion can be swayed in, in the moment. You brought up Abba being self-indulgent and how that song was self-indulgent, and I was like, you're right, but then you know, I think back, wait a minute, aren't most of their songs kind of self-indulgent? I mean, I guess you could say that about a lot of songs like I Can't Get No Satisfaction is pretty damn self-indulgent and stuff like that. But it's their thing. It's, yeah. like, it's like we're not talking. This isn't a broody, <laughs> you know, like pop artist here. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it, it's over the top. Yeah. Glammy, fluffy shit. So we shouldn't be upset if that's what's coming to us now, you know? Oh, I think I, I think it's best summed up by, you know, I believe it was them that once sang. Money, money, money. It's a, I guess, a rich woman's world now. So, <laughs> I mean, she's got to be loaded. She's got to be so rich. So, so rich.
just off of the, those movies alone, I can't. I, I I can't imagine. I was I saw in a interview that they did uh, a couple years ago that at one point in the last decade, somebody offered them a billion dollars to do a tour again, a hundred shows, and they turned it down. Yeah, I wonder what kind of crazy shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this and research it for next episode. Yeah, about what kind of crazy shit uniquely each of the members of ABBA is into because uh, <laughs> they probably own like half of Sweden. I love it. I love it. They probably own Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we just want to touch on this real quick uh, before moving on to the rest of the headlines today. Thank you so much for listening. And tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of September 11th. It was uh, full disclosure. I was very young um a lot of different stuff happened but before we get into any of that benny i just want to talk to you about your experiences on on that day i know that we've talked about this before and kind of you know the world sense and kind of where we are 20 years later yeah i mean i think we could do you know a number of podcasts on this topic so try to keep it as brief as i can i mean my experience i was you know uh 18 no, I'm sorry, nineteen going on twenty, something like that. Living in a house with my friends and got a call in the morning from my mom saying to turn on the news and uh turned it on in time to see, you know, a fire in the first tower, just like, oh shit, you know, what's going on? And then literally watched uh the second plane go in. And, you know, from where I was in central Jersey. You know, we're on the flight pattern from like Fort Dix. So you kind of immediately start hearing like fighter jets. You know, the initial news reports had dozens of planes potentially in the sky going any number of places. You know, the Pentagon, you know, the Flight 93. So I, to people who aren't that age, maybe, you know, your age or younger, uh, I think people forget the act, like what the actual day was like. It wasn't just like the people right there were affected. It was kind of had this grip over the whole country in a lot of ways, and especially the East Coast. Because, I mean, honestly, most people thought they were under attack or didn't know how to find someone they knew in New York because communication was like totally shut off. My brother and sister were both living there at the time not in that neighborhood. They had no reason to be in that neighborhood. So, you know, I thought we were okay, but there was the thing in the back of my mind, you know, what if, what if my brother had a joint that morning and wandered down there for a bagel, like it could happen, you know? So, um, so it was scary. I drove down there a few days later, took some pictures of my buddy, Evan. I still have them like, you know, really wild stuff. Um, I guess in reflection, you know, after all this time in 20 years, I mean, I think it's crazy that kids dying in the wars as a result of it weren't even alive to see this thing, which is a, you know, it's a mind fuck to consider the fact that it's been going on that long. And I think after this time, I want to remember like the human elements of it, like the actual people who were there randomly working just doing their job, whatever kind of job they had, the people who went in to help, um, the people who died years later from the result of helping. And I want to kind of like 
examine what and why and how someone would be driven to do this to us. I thought there was a reaction after 9-11 really quickly that you couldn't take any other tone but mega patriotic without being considered some sort of dissenter. And I always thought it would have been a better idea to consider the fact. Why did these people want to do this to us? What was our role in that? And how can we move forward in a better way? And I think, you know, we went ahead and used the whiplash approach of trying to, you know, find the boogeyman and uh, unleash more damage than was unleashed on us, which is kind of the reaction. And it's led to, you know, like military style police forces around the U.S., kind of never ending wars, worse political divide. So it's sad now, too, in reflection to see. I don't know how many positives or silver linings I can actually find from the horror anymore. And that's sad because you wish that people could have done some thinking and go ahead and do everything in your power to stop whatever causes this forever. And that should be the quest of people, um, you know, not not just blood vengeance, you know? The one big thing that I, I remember after that is, you know, people coming together to try to rally, like, your neighbors that had been affected and, and stuff like that. Um, I was in, in school at the time. My dad was actually a first responder and... Uh, you know, the business that, that we owned was safety services. So my dad was gone for like a month to like a month and a half down there at, at the site, just trying to help Con Edison and, and first responders and stuff like that. So he was he was at the site of 9-11 the day after. Yeah. For, yeah. for the first six weeks. Yeah. And, wow. And was living out of uh, like U-Haul trucks where they were, yeah, just trying to make everything happen. So... That was crazy wow. to kind of look back in hindsight, but to 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 touch on what you went to about twenty years later, that to me, like the people coming together and peace and stuff like that, you know, I feel like we've seen this after a bunch of tragedies, and I hate that it's so so short lived. Like in the direct thing of COVID, it's like, hey, people coming together, right? You're you're in your house and then it quickly becomes political it always seems to become political and you know this probably to the deepest extent and i know people that are even younger than me that were kind of born in into this you know tsa like lockdown security thing and i really think that it's had a massive psychological toll on everybody because the entire time that you're dealing with your normal stresses of life you've got this threat hanging over your head the entire time so it's just uh it's sad that you can't look at 9 11 and be like wow it was a time of like real camaraderie like especially after getting out of afghanistan recently and all of that stuff it's just uh i think coming up on the 20th anniversary there's a lot of bitter sweetness not even sweetness because, you know, I only think about, you know, that time of like George Bush throwing out the first pitch at like Yankee Stadium and like all of that version of 9-11 that has been well Good documented. Pitch. Good pitch. Good pitch. <laughs> not a joy, you know, not a fan of the guy, but good pitch. Good pitch. But it's just it's just really with the recent events in 
Afghanistan. It's it's really kind of a sad thing. It's sadder than I think it would have been if we hadn't gotten out of Afghanistan when we did. Like I said, we could do a few podcasts yeah. on that. <laughs> but, but, you know, we just wanted to touch on it real quick before we get back to our ridiculousness over here and Benny. Ridiculousness we have indeed. Have you seen this story? The aye Bishop aye Sycamore aye. story? Aye, aye, aye. So yes. I want to lay this out for people. ESPN regularly schedules high school football games to fill programming. They option it out to a sister company to kind of put on these great events that teams make money, all of that stuff. <laughs> um, the IMG Academy in Florida took on a school from Ohio allegedly called Bishop Sycamore. There was no vetting done, and people thought that this was just a high school. I'm sure they got a decent amount of money to pay play IMG Academy. But what came out later, apparently, as they say, they are a postgraduate academy for football players trying to take the next step in their careers. So essentially, you had 19, 20, 22-year-olds playing high school kids in this game on ESPN. Just a complete debacle. A for-profit school, by the way, just out here taking money left and right. Um, I know a couple different producers on a couple different radio shows tried to reach out to them, and their representation and their coaches wanted money to come on radio shows that people do for free all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Ben, just an incredible story. But what's what's your takeaway? Is this stupid, or do you think that these guys are actually kind of smart that they pulled this off? Here's what here's what I take away from it. Yeah. Is that they're clearly following a model that has already worked <laughs> and they're too stupid to do it. That's what I'm seeing here is that like implicitly it makes me think, wait, what is IMG Academy? Why does that exist? It exists because some rich motherfuckers started a school, a school to like, you know, go perform around the US uh, at the highest level of athletics and provide whatever the baseline educational services that are required to say you are a school to run this place. So like, that's kind of what it seems to me is that, you know, all these places we've gotten used to in our head, these academies, these preps, these things, a lot of them are like these newer versions of like athletic breeding grounds kind of just calling themselves schools. So I think it's kind of an indication of that. These people were following the same model and maybe just didn't have the financial backing or the discipline or whatever to actually do it correctly. Um, you know, when you quickly hear these testimonials of, a you know, kids uh, sleeping in hotels for five months, apparently getting, the hotel getting paid with with bad checks, eating at Kroger and Target the entire time, uh, you know, coaches quitting because they weren't getting paid. Like it's a very Trumpian scam, you know, where they just invented this like <laughs> huge image of something. And obviously there is nothing behind it. So, um, I mean, I it's kind of smart, like the actual concept itself. These people just couldn't pull it off in a good enough way. And then the ESPN part of it, I think, is clearly an indication of like what people actually vet and what people deem critical. 
I mean, it clearly goes to show you again, time and time and time again, that like if people can ball the academic side of it, the actual safety and lifestyle of these kids is completely ignored until like something crazy happens like this. ESPN didn't give a shit. <laughs> they just heard what? Like, oh, the division one players like, oh, fancy name. Bishop Sycamore. I mean, that's good. It sounds right. <laughs> it's good. It's right. You know, like it sounds good. <laughs> I, was, I, I bought it. It's like, yeah, Bishop Sycamore. That's yeah. Aren't they one of the good ones where, you know, the kids go. So like they, the whole scam worked, but it is disappointing. A company like ESPN, you know, you know, just imagine the types of things that can't get through the door at ESPN, the kinds of things that can't get on the desk if they're considered like culturally strange in any way. But here you go. Like, here's a school that's not actually a school and we're going to air them. Just goes to show you what people care about, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how many of the people listening out there know this, but the Catholic Church has been doing this for years, disguising yeah, right. their parishes and their high schools as these football teams. I mean, we look at Don Bosco here. We look at, you know, um, a whole bunch of these California schools as well. They've been recruiting. They've been getting kids in the door to hype up their program. They've, they've been getting them to the next level, and that continues the cycle. And the money's pretty good, too, because a lot of, uh, you know, these private schools, if they didn't have sports and stuff like that, have a real hard time staying in the black, being financially operable. And this just brings a windfall. So it's like we're in a crazy time with everything that's happening in college, with people getting paid for everything. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that kind of trickles down into the high school level. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 going everywhere. I mean, uh, I think the more and more, especially with what the NBA is doing with yeah. the uh, with the youth and the going right into the G League teams, it's looking more like the soccer model more and more. Where if you're a talented 13 or 14 year old, you're going to get plugged into the system that young. And, and I, I mean, and they've made it pretty clear that, you know, by a certain age, if the people aren't uh, seeking an academic path, then I don't know. I kind of don't care. It's just like another version of trade school, right? Mm. Yeah, but I really think that this is going to destroy some people. It's going to work for a lot of people, but it's also going to destroy some people like everything because people are going to hey. That's the world, isn't it? Oh, look at you. No. Oh, our many saints hey, in North let Preview. The, let the strong survive. You know what I'm oh saying? Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> you know who's not strong, Benny? The New York Yankees. Um, mm. We're going to get into baseball right now. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the ailed wild card situation because it's changing by the day. Last night, the Boston Red Sox hopped in the first place of the AL wild card. Yankees down the second. Blue Jays closing in game and a half. The Tampa Bay Rays, class of the division, top of it. Uh, world Series contender, some might say. But, Benny, so I want to break down the AL East here for a couple minutes and really just talk about first the Rays, you know. Coming out of the AL, would you consider them the favorite to win the pennant? I mean, yeah, I think you said it. Like, at this point, they're kind of the class of the AL. Um, and if, you know, if this was a few years ago when they kind of first started bucking this trend, like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. But now, after a few years of success, proven success, uh, the talent they have and... Um, the way they put that team together, sure. Like, 
they they've done it for a number of years now and they're they're as good as anybody so yeah they have a chance and now let's get down to the part that we actually care about we were we actually do you realize how significant the yankees have to be for us to stop talking about basketball for two seconds to be like the yankees are back we had it we had Mm -hmm. everything going on what do you make of them happening right now they they can't seem to get out of their own way yeah, I mean, it's the same thing we ran into a month ago, two months ago before these trades. The bats have fallen asleep. No diversity in the lineup. It's getting easier to plug through. It's looking sluggish. And now with this Garrett Cole injury, I mean, yeah. he has a bad start, leaves the game, might miss a start. Um, you know, that's one of the biggest things for the Yanks is to make sure that he can go out there every fourth or fifth game, particularly if we're getting around the playoffs. And then to top it off, I mean, these blue Jays yeah. are wild. They're scary. I mean, right now in run differential, they're a plus 143. Red Sox are a plus 53. Yankees a plus 36. Mm. You know, Robbie Ray's randomly a Cy Young candidate. Like Barrios was a big ad. Romano's back in the back of the bullpen. And that lineup is diverse, uh, young. It's getting into the dog days here. And like, you know, one of the good things about having kids is you can plug them with 600, 650 at bats and they're still fine. Yeah. Um, so that team is dangerous. And, you know, they're getting to that point where they're far enough away from their rookie seasons that real success starts to become tangible. You know, like Guerrero's a few years in now, you know, Bichette's a couple years in. They have uh, all this... Um, you know, diversity up and down the lineup. So I'm pretty scared of the Jays too. Mariners are making a good run. Uh, if the Yankees trail back another another couple games, like that, it's going to be goodbye postseason. Blue Jays nine and one in their last ten, which is absolutely insane. You had two teams right here: the Yanks and the Sox. Uh, last ten, Sox are five hundred. Yanks are two and eight. Seattle's coming on. They're seven and three. Two and a half behind the Yanks right now. The Blue Jays are a game and a half. So Yanks have to either find their bats or someone step up on the pitching front. Um, otherwise, it's going to be a long and quiet fall in the Bronx. And as usual, you know the way I feel about it. Another testament to the second wild card, to the play-in. All these teams that would have been well out of the mix that are still in the mix. And I think it's fun. It's fun, and it, it was cool to see as the world is collapsing up there in Yankee Stadium and the Bronx. It was cool to see Jeets go into the hall yesterday, stepped up, slayed the speed, so made you nostalgic for success. Is, is he like, let's, I mean, is Derek Jeter one of the last athletes from the pre-social media age who can get away with that, like, mystical new york superstar quality you know where like i mean i followed Derek jeter almost every day of his career (laughs) from when he was pretty much a high schooler until now yeah the guy's managed to never really look very bad he's got 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 himself caught in a couple celebrity scandals you know like dating very famous women and (laughs) you know the uh the mythical stories about the NDAs and the great gift baskets that he gives women on the way out the door, whatever, you know, like not my business, but I wonder 
in this day and age that the kind of aura he has like sort of unreachable unattainable aura that he has like it might be one of the last last athletes to have that kind of thing you know see i don't know about that because i feel like now it's even easier to curate your own image and like Mm. you know he would have had a like graphic designer he would have had like a video crew that like you know put out the message that he wanted so yeah, if you're sloppy, you could get caught out here in these streets on someone else's Instagram being like, yo, look at this fool. But instead, I feel like the way he's a smart enough guy, he, he would have been like, hey, let me properly make myself look like the king of New York. So if you're rich enough, you control the message. Oh, of course. Come on. We know this. I, I, you you got to remind me. I honestly oh, sometimes forget. This. Think that people like Derek Jeter are sitting on a comfy chair in their house, scratching their balls, scrolling through Twitter, just like I am, you know? <laughs> you're meaning to tell me, successful drummer, two podcasts, you're not trying to control some sort of narrative? No, I'm well, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. <laughs> no, 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 this is interesting you bring it up. Of, co- of course I am. <laughs> it would, uh, Like, seriously, of course. Mm. It would be naive to say that I wasn't. Uh, and part of the narrative I'm looking to curate is like as large of a lack of participation as possible. Like, <laughs> what is the ultimate top of lack of participation I can do to still be doing it? You know what I mean? It's like kind of how I got through it. high school. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I'm, that's the the perfect brew I'm looking oh, for. Oh, I love it! I love it. Well. You know who's really trying to do the most? Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay and the Green Bay Packers. So, Benny, last night the NFL kicked off. We had the Cowboys. We had the Buccaneers. Uh, By the way, shout out to the NFL for really making some good early season matchups for this season. But you know how we do each time a season starts. We put our predictions on wax. We put them in the vault, and then we see how stupid we were by February (laughs) or whenever the season ends. So, Benny, without any further ado, I want your Super Bowl pick, and then I want who you think is going to win the Super Bowl. All right, I'm going to go a step further. I'm giving you AFC, NFC. Okay, yes. Yes, please. I got a feeling about a squad this year. Yeah. It's not, you know, some indulgent feeling. I'm actually one of the losers who would watch the Detroit Lions from time to time. I'm a pretty big believer in the talents of Matthew Stafford. And I'm a pretty big believer in how hungry he is and maybe how this connection with the Rams could be some kind of magical connection. Mm. So I like the Rams this year. I think they're good. And I think it's time that a lot of these big money signings and some of the uh, big money players really culminate at the same time. Uh, you know, the NFL is looking for star power. This team has it. You know, if you ask any uh, any uh, layman throughout, um, you know, the NFL universe to name an NFL defensive player besi- that's not named Watt or Bosa, <laughs> um, you know, maybe yeah. two of the only names they'll come up with are Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. So. I like the Rams to be kind of the headline flashy team, and I love Stafford to have a big year and to drive them into the NFC final game against Tampa Bay and the Buccaneers, where I think Aaron Donald's going to eat his lunch, hmm. give Tom a sandwich. He's, there's no, he can't do it. 
He's not going to two Super Bowls in a row. Yeah. I can't believe that Tom Brady's going to do it again. He's got to be too old at some point. <laughs> so I'm making the classic mistake I never make in the context of the NBA by never betting against LeBron James. And I am betting against Tom Brady and saying the Rams will be the NFC participant in the Super Bowl. On the other side of the ball there, the AFC, I, I mean, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and that whole crew is the group that I think is getting back there. They address the one thing they needed to address, which was the offensive line. They still have some holes, but, you know, the the most talented quarterback that the league has seen in, you know, potentially decades is a good stopgap for those holes. So I think no way the Chiefs don't get to the AFC championship game. And I like them there against the Ravens. Mm -hmm. It's a tough team. Uh, Gritty, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, continuing uh, philosophy and flow from the previous years. Lamar Jackson's a great, uh, great facilitator. I think the the Ravens are, are back in the mix and the Chiefs come out on top in the AFC for a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl won by Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to lose it twice. I, I got the Chiefs going all the way through. Wow, so you think that for the second year in a row, we're going to have a team playing in their home stadium for the Super Bowl? I do. That's crazy. I do. How about I that? I do. The NFL, they like money. <laughs> that, should, that should just be it. Like the NFL, <laughs> we like money. Boom, we that's like it. We like money. Oh, man. Just, someone from the <laughs> league office like this. Just like Roger Goodell like that? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I could see it. Benny, my Super Bowl pick, it's easy. I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs as well. You talked about the offensive line. They did sew that up. And then, you know, the NFC is where I think it gets really interesting. I love this narrative that's happening in Green Bay. I love the the, the turmoil. I, I love that Aaron has been able to bring some of his guys back in, despite what the team may actually want. I love that he's feeling a little bit of pressure. He's got Jordan Love back there. Um, like I said, he has some of his guys. I think that that's going to be – it's either going to be amazing or it's going to burn out in style. But at the end of the day, I think they get to, like, I don't know, like 10 and 6 so I, I think, you know, they always say don't bet against Tom Brady. I would not bet against Aaron Rodgers for, to kind of have like a fuck you season. And then does anybody have a chip on their shoulder going into this year bigger than Aaron Rodgers? I right, think not. Exactly. Yeah. And also, if, if you want to check out, he did a great interview with Dan Levitard a couple weeks ago, um, really talked about like the headspace and, you know, mental health. For NFL quarterbacks. Listen, Denny, Levitard doesn't need the plugs from us. Hey, okay? man. You know? This is how you get on someone's network, man. You <laughs> suckle at the teat of a behemoth. That, that's what you do. You know this industry. Well, speaking, man, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to go against Tom Brady because I've... Uh, I'm working on his podcast now with Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> so I like I'm kind of on the TV 12 payroll a little bit. So I'm not trying to go against Tommy. Um but I kind of have to. I love Tom. Tom's great, blah blah blah. It's amazing how he's been able to kind of curate this social media image. He was one of the first pro athletes to adopt TikTok and actually kind of use it like resourcefully. Um, but that has nothing to do with winning football games. I just don't think he can do it back-to-back -back years. 
Um, so give me meeting up in Los Angeles. Give me Patrick Mahomes. Give me Aaron Rodgers. Will it be a Packers Super Bowl? I don't think the title goes back to Title Ten, and I think it's the Chiefs get revenge for last year. We both have the Chiefs. Well, I'll dip my I'll dip my uh, plate in a uh, I'll dip my face in a plate full of curds. Oh my gosh! Happily. <laughs> All right, well, we we're running out of time here, which means we have time for one more take, one more opinion. It's time for the Tune Up Encore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Listen, I just want everyone, please, to make sure you go into every day with an open slate. Make sure you accept everyone and uh, accept everything and take everything every day. Dropping your son off in kindergarten for the first time leaves you in a bit of a existential crisis where you're like, oh, my God, I'm giving this kid up. I'm not going to see him again until he's like 26 and has a kid and needs me again. <laughs> so it's a little terrifying. And when you break it down, I've had this kid for about 1800 days in my possession. It's time to unleash him to the world. But it's very scary. Make sure you. Kiss everyone you know and tell them you love them every single day. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Benny, my encore has to do with someone that has been fully formed and working their way up to this. I want to talk about the U.S. Open a little bit. We <laughs> <laughs> should have let you go first. <laughs> I want to talk about this Layla Fernandez girl, unseated. Uh, uh, has made a run to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. She beat Naomi Osaka. Uh, she beat the fifth seed in the world the other night. And, Benny, I don't know if you know this, the uh, the girlfriend's family, hardcore Filipino, Layla. Uh, oh, there you go. Canadian of Filipino descent. And, you know, all I'm asking, you know, are Pablo Torres that are out here representing Filipinos in the mainstream media. Who's bringing the lumpia to Arthur Ashe Stadium? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So uh, may try to make it out to Flushing, um, but that's just been an unbelievable story. Love when somebody kind of rises out of uh, nowhere. The girl's 18 years old doing this on the big stage. Two big 18-year-olds uh, at the U.S. Open on both the men's and the women's side. So shout out to Layla. Unbelievable story. And imagine if she brings her home. That'd be pretty cool. Very cool. And I think the... The uh, sports world is desperately in need of a new uh, uh, Filipino crown holder Since now that Manny, Manny Pacquiao yeah. is getting into politics, you know? Oh, wow. That's so. a, We talked before about a whole other podcast. That, that <laughs> Filipino politics thing is crazy. Uh, well, um. I'm not going there because I don't want to get black bagged, you know? Oh, uh, well, I don't want to get black bagged either, which is why we want feedback from you. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can email us at the tuna podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to check out all of our content, we are on all the social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're here. Subscribe on YouTube, posting videos up there. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody love everybody the show's ended go in peace you've been listening to the tune-up